0: We're in Matthew chapter five, working through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and now we are at the Beatitudes, looking at Matthew chapter five, verse six. But if you'll stand with me for the reverence for the reading of God's word, again, as we're going through the beatitudes, I want to read all of the Beatitudes together each week, but then focus on each listing in the in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse one. were before you. Let's pray. Dear God, we do praise you for the word, your son, Jesus Christ. And as he comes in flesh and he speaks and he teaches the truth of the kingdom of heaven, Lord, we glean from that even now. And I pray God, as we are studying this together, as you are speaking to us individually and corporately. Lord, that you would guide us and to understand what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Today, we are focused on this very important point. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us individually and truthfully. What is it that we hunger for, Lord? What does that look like? What does that mean? How do we satisfy the desires and the cravings of our hearts. Your Son, Jesus Christ, teaches us what is proper and what is worthy of attaining. So God, I pray that you would teach us today, speak to us boldly but lovingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Years ago when God called me into ministry, um, of course, I'm a, I'm a, Lifelong Southern Baptist. And if you've ever been in the Southern Baptist tradition very long, you understand that uh, there is one doctrine you do not teach, and that is the doctrine of gluttony. Some of you all got that. We like to eat when we get together. This church, even we've not been able to get together for a fellowship meal for a while because of the COVID-19 and the pandemic and such, but we understand that there are things in our physical body that drive us to eat. Can we say amen to that? If you've got children, especially, it seems like young boys and even teenage boys, they seem like they eat more than you can consume or eat more than you can provide. But we, we understand the desire of hunger, right? Every one of us understands that when we are hungry, we desire something to satisfy it. And now in Matthew chapter five, verse six, Jesus is speaking a truth here that really hits home to every human being alive. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I don't know about you, but, but this is one of the things that I've always said that hunger is a great motivator. You have someone who is not wanting to work, not wanting to be independent not wanting to produce and be a productive citizen of the society, the answer to me is this. Hunger is a great motivator. If somebody gets hungry long enough, they'll go figure out how to feed themselves one way or the other. Now, that sounds cruel to some people, but I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I was a young man trying to figure out how to make my way and be independent. I didn't have a lot to eat. I survived on nothing hardly, but you know what? That hunger motivated me to work harder. That hunger motivated me to do better. That hunger motivated me to provide for myself so no one else would. We all understand what hunger is. Hunger is not something we want to continue. Hunger is this emptiness within our physical body that must be satisfied because hunger goes too long. We can die of starvation. And God has created us with this hunger in our physical bodies that ties directly to our spiritual body. And Jesus is making this very clear direction that hunger is the greatest motivator there is, not only physically, but hunger is the greatest motivator spiritually to draw people back to the Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. During this, these last months of COVID-19 and and. Even before that, in our community, we had a tornado. I mean, this 2020 has been a year of un, unexpected change. And when COVID-19 came and we started noticing that the, uh, the stock market was collapsing, that people were losing their jobs, that people, they didn't know what was coming next. If you remember back in March and April, do you remember what it was like? There was a lot of uncertainty. And if you went to the grocery store, did you notice how quickly the shelves emptied? Yeah, we're not used to that in our country. We're not used to that in our generation. We're not used to going to the store and having nothing to buy and we go home and we worry, what are we going to eat next week? And people hoard food. <laughs> and they buy whatever they can. And we have this in we have this desire within us to make sure And that we have security not only in our lives, but one of the biggest things of security that we desire is the security of being able to eat and to feed our families. One of the things that I remember as a child, my mother raised three of us by herself. My parents were divorced when I was very young. And being raised by a single mother in the 70s was not fun. Back in the 70s, divorce was still not quite as common and accepted. And I remember in the 70s very often my single mother did the very best she could. She worked her fingers to the bone. But there were many, many times the only thing we had to eat. There were three kids and one mother, four of us in the house. The only thing we had to eat was one can of Campbell's soup that we all four had to share. I remember those times going to school in the mornings. This was before free food at, at school. As a matter of fact, when I was in the 70s, if you went to school and had free lunch, it was a stigma. Now it's now it's almost an entitlement. Every child, no matter what your economic status, you get free food at school. I'm glad for that. We've got a lot of hungry people. But I remember going to school, and the only thing we had was leftover Hungry Jack biscuits. Y'all remember the Hungry Jack biscuit that came out of the tube, right? Right. We would that would be my lunch, and it would be a leftover Hungry Jack biscuit from the night before. That was my childhood. Hunger is not something that you wish to continue. If you grow up hungry. Many times those who grow up hungry as children figure out a way as adults to provide better than what their parents were able to do. And we've been blessed in this country in this century to be able to do that better. Things are changing. I think we're going to to start seeing more hunger. In our community, we're going to start seeing more hunger in our country as things continue to change this year, and I think even into next year, we're seeing a radical shift in our economy and a radical shift in our communities. And God allows hunger for this purpose. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The physical desire to satisfy our hunger pains and our thirst are those same desires that God says, come to me and I will satisfy your needs, not only physically, but more importantly, spiritually. Let's see what Jesus is teaching us here. You see, there's figurative language here that is clearly leading to the poverty of the Spirit. If you remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as we go through the Beatitudes, do not forget that the very first blessing that Jesus speaks about is, the, is really the foundation and the theme for the entire Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we think of hunger, when we think of physical hunger, that clearly is a connection to poverty. Spiritual poverty, physical poverty leaves us with a lack that drives us to satisfy because when we have physical hunger, we are driven to seek out something to nourish our body. We seek out something for satisfaction. And this is actually a motivator to work, to move toward satisfaction, to move towards something better because we have an emptiness within us. So there's figurative language here of the poverty of spirit that Jesus is Teaching us here. So, what do we hunger for? I think is the big point. You know, when I'm hungry, I can go into our pantry and and eat whatever Rhonda puts in the pantry for us to have in the house. And if there is potato chips, I will eat the potato chips, whether I should or should not. Right? When you're hungry, what do we always go for? We go for the junk food, don't we? We go because why do we eat the junk food? Does anybody like candy bars and chocolate and potato chips and and? Twinkies, and why, why do we do that? Because when we eat those things, does it satisfy us? In the, in, in, instantly it does. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like those Little Debbie oatmeal pies too, right, when you eat those. Y'all are grinning like, hmm. How many people are getting hungry at this moment right now? All right. Or a good cheeseburger, right? Right? All right. You're out working hard in the day and you don't have time to go home for a good meal or you didn't have time to pack a, a lunch or whatever. And what, you're, you're hungry at about 1130 in the morning. You've been working all morning. What do you want to do? You want to go through the drive-thru and get one of those wonderful cheeseburgers, don't you? But then what happens to your body later? Yeah. You either get sick from it or you gain weight from it. It's not necessarily the best choice to satisfy your hunger, but boy, it was good in the moment, wasn't it? I, I love a good cheeseburger. All right. Cheeseburgers just don't like my waistline very much. So what is it that we hunger for? And Jesus understands this. He understands the reality of our existence that when we are hungry, we're going to satisfy that hunger with something. But as sinners, what do we satisfy our hunger with? It's always that which is not righteous. It's always that which is not nutritious. We want to go. We want to reach for the instant satisfaction that may give us a sugar buzz or fill up our stomach for the moment, but later we're more hungry and more empty after we, we digest it than we were before. So what is it that we hunger for? Notice here in verse 6, Jesus makes a very clear distinction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. It's not just blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In order to see the kingdom of heaven, in order to be brought into the kingdom of heaven, I think we often start off with hunger and thirst for something, and it is the kingdom of heaven that that satisfies the desire. And Jesus is saying what leads us to that? We hunger for righteousness. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll eventually drive for it, we'll seek for it, we'll go for it, and eventually we will be satisfied with nothing else but God's righteousness. But this figurative language, just as food is necessary for physical life, can you all agree with that? How long can we go without eating food for the physical body? We could probably fast for a day. If you're really, really disciplined, maybe two days. Well, how many of us, if we miss one meal in a day, are hangry, right? That's a new term in recent years. It's not just that you're hungry, you're hangry, right? Your blood sugar drops and you get irritable. Our physical bodies need food. So just as food is necessary for physical life, I think what Jesus is teaching us here is that righteousness is necessary for spiritual life. He's making some very practical applications here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Our spirit will not survive without God's righteousness. Now let's take a look here at some things in Scripture about where this idea of hunger and thirst because we see this theme of hunger and thirst all throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament even into the New Testament. We're just going to look at a few things. If you want to write that down in your bulletin, there's a place for sermon notes. If you want to flip there, we'll, uh, there'll be some passages we look at, but primarily, let me just give you a few. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, we know that Eve was in the Garden of Eden. And we know that the original creation, the garden, provided everything that Adam and Eve ever desired, provided everything they ever needed. It was paradise. All things provided physically and honestly, all things provided spiritually because God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Yet Eve was tempted for more. And Satan in Genesis chapter 3 verses 6 through 7 goes to Eve and actually takes what God has created beautiful and good and this hunger and this desire and he twists it and he distorts it, and he draws Eve into a sinful choice, and then Eve also takes Adam with her, and Adam willingly goes with her into this sin of eating the forbidden fruit. Hunger, desire, because the fruit that Eve uh, visualized in her mind as Satan was twisting God's truth, she looked at the fruit on the forbidden tree, and it was desirable to eat. You see how Satan will take what God has created good, a hunger and a desire for his goodness and his righteousness. Satan takes in the very beginning of the fall and distorts God's goodness to create evil in the world. And Adam and Eve fall under that sin. Esau, you remember Esau? Esau sacrificed his birthright for a pot of stew in Genesis chapter 25. Y'all remember that? He comes in from hunting all day, and the Scripture says they describes his physical state as famished. He was hungry. He was ravenous, if you will. And what does he do? He sees his brother cooking a pot of stew. And now Esau was the firstborn. He had a birthright to inherit all that his father had to give him. And what does Esau do? He sacrifices his birthright by defrauding his own right as the son. He allowed his, his hunger, he allowed his physical hunger to throw away God's promise through the generations. He was the firstborn. He allowed his hunger to steer him in the wrong direction. Now let's take a look at, at Luke chapter 1 as well. Flip over there with me to Luke chapter 1. This is a passage of scripture that I often read uh, at Christmas time. And we overlook this often in our evangelical tradition. But Mary's song of praise in Luke chapter 1, as she is being told that she will give birth to Jesus and she visits Elizabeth, the Magnificat is the traditional name for this passage of Scripture. It is a rich, tri- rich tradition in the church of Mary's song of prayer to the Lord, the Magnificat. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, actually focusing on verse 51 through 55. This is a, this is part of Mary's song of praise. It says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. Forever. Notice here in the midst of Mary's song of praise to the Lord, she acknowledges that the coming of Jesus Christ is that satisfaction and that filling for the hungry because God provides the hungry with good things. And Mary is singing praises to her Lord that as Jesus is coming as she has been chosen to give birth to the savior of the world. She recognizes that the birth of Jesus Christ is that satisfaction that will fulfill the hunger of those who desire God's righteousness and his goodness. You see that he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty because the rich think about this, the rich will actually substitute God's goodness. Whatever God has to give, the rich will often satisfy themselves with their own provision rather than depending fully on God's provision of good things. You see the language there? Mary acknowledges that it is God who satisfies the hunger because we as sinful people, we desire something that we cannot do for ourselves. We desire God's goodness and his grace. That is the nature of the sinful fallen hearts. We're always desiring what has been lost. We desire what we have sacrificed and thrown away in our sin. And we know that there is something missing within our spirit, just like we know there's something missing in our bellies when we're hungry. And we drive for that. Somehow we want to satisfy our souls. And in our sinful state, what do we satisfy our soul with? spiritual junk food, because it brings instant gratification. We satisfy our own hunger in our own way, rather than allowing God to provide that which is good. As Mary, the mother of Jesus, speaks, he has filled the hungry with good things. Jesus Christ himself is that which God provides to satisfy all hunger. Where do we see this as well? Not only in hunger, but also in thirst. Flip over with me to John chapter 4. Right? Thirst is also one of those things that drives our physical spirit to to satisfy, don't we? Even when when our stomachs are empty, we want to eat. When our throats are dry and parched, we wish to drink. We are thirsty. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. What does Jesus say here? Let's begin in verse 7. John chapter 4. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, Ah, Jesus is even bringing the same language of the Sermon on the Mount, even in this application with the woman at the well. You are here drawing water. And we we know the further story of the the woman at the well. Jesus now, from that point, he opens up the truth of her life, reveals to her what she's been craving for her whole life. And what has she been substituting her cravings for? She's been substituting it with husbands, men, status in the community, trying, trying to be accepted. And how many husbands does she have? Five at this point. What are we desiring? What are we craving? We we will often often substitute the goodness of God and the fulfilling of our hunger and our thirst not with Jesus Christ but with other things of our own choosing because it looks looks appealing in the moment. And what do we uh, what do we end up with after that? Destruction, despair, regrets. And Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount: Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we're wanting. That's what we really desire. Whether we realize it or not, that's what we crave. We crave righteousness that only God the Father can define and only what God the Father can give. And he does so through the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is teaching here, really, remember, blessed in the Beatitudes can also be understood as happiness. So he's teaching happy are those who, are, even though their wishes are moderate, even though they're poverty and, and, and lacking, what is necessary. Their languishing condition is a famishing hunger that will drive them to the cross. A famishing hunger that they must satisfy some way. And Jesus is pointing out here in his Sermon on the Mount, this is what you hunger for. You're hungering for righteousness. And Jesus further in the Sermon on the Mount, he points to himself and he says, I am the satisfaction that you crave. How many people do we know that are wandering in their lives aimlessly and it seems like they're making bad choices Poor choice after poor choice after poor choice after poor choice. We look on them with pity. We look on them with worry. What is it that they're searching for? Ultimately, they're searching for the righteousness of God. They just don't know it. It's the truth of the gospel that they're looking for, and it's the truth of the gospel when they hear it. It's when the truth of the gospel is proclaimed boldly and truthfully that when the Holy Spirit stirs within them, this is what you are craving for. This is what you are desiring. That's when they respond. That's when they come to the gospel. That's when they come to Jesus and they are satisfied in him alone. Now we have to remember that whatever we desire or hunger for in our spirit, that's what we'll treasure. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 through 20, Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We're going to get to this section in a few weeks. Matthew chapter 6 We'll we'll actually have a whole sermon on this one section, but it really relates here to what Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes. Because when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we replace that with something else, what we're really showing God is, I treasure something other than you because this is what I'm choosing to satisfy my hunger and my thirst. And Jesus is teaching here not to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Really what is treasure, what is desirable, is that which is of heaven, because everything that we satisfy our hunger and thirst for here on earth is temporary at best. Nothing more obvious and more clear to me in this than in our modern age of technology and wonder. How many of y'all have a cell phone that's about a year old? How how behind the times is it now? When you first got it, wow, the newest iPhone or Galaxy whatever and do you realize that cell phones are like $1,200 now? Y'all realize that? That's just like stupid. I'm just going to be real direct with you, right? Would y'all agree? I mean, that's just stupid. I mean, $1,200 for a piece of equipment that in 12 months is going to be outdated and, and worthless, yet people are still craving the new technology whenever it comes out because that's going to satisfy my desire? Wow. Because, wow, we can do new things. It's so cool. We can, we can watch movies now. Wow. Wonderful. Great. And what's going to happen in another six months? Well, this is boring and old. I got to have the new one. Don't we teach that? I mean, don't our children come to us because they have been taught something in the world through advertising and marketing that what you crave and what you desire will be satisfied with this new product or this new service. Just buy this and you'll be happy. Apple has done a wonderful job in marketing their equipment and their co- and their computers and all this stuff, to draw people in to pay more money than what the technology will actually provide. But boy, is it new and is it great. You see where we are? Because where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. Verse 20 of Matthew 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you wherever you place your treasure, that's where your heart truly is. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we are satisfied according to Jesus in the Beatitudes, what will satisfy that desire, that hunger, is the treasure that can only come from one place, and that is not from us, that is from God Himself, and that is the kingdom of heaven if we place our treasure there. That's where our heart will be. That's what will satisfy us. Turn with me to Psalm 60. I'm sorry, Psalm 63. Psalm 63. The psalmist here in Psalm 63, Psalm of David, cries out this same prayer. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food. Don't you like that imagery? (laughs) Right? And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help in the shadow of your wings. I will sing for joy. Verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see the language here of the psalmist David. This is a psalm, a prayer of the soul. My soul thirsts for you in verse 1. My soul will be satisfied with you for like fat and rich food satisfies me. Verse 8 My soul clings to you. You see the language in Scripture? It's repeated all throughout God's Word. Whatever you hunger for, whatever you thirst for, the only satisfaction that will come and sa- truly, honestly satisfy it is God's righteousness. And God's righteousness comes through Jesus Christ alone. You see, this ambition that we have, this desire that we have, drives us to fulfill whatever it is we crave. Anybody here have ambition to be somebody? I think men desire this in some ways that women don't. Women, you have an ambition to be one thing, but men, we 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 have ambition to that drives us in the career, don't we? We have ambition to be that man that people respect. That's a desire of the heart. That's why men, when they reach a certain age, they go through a midlife crisis because they had ambition to be somebody and they wake up around 40, 45 or 50 and they realize I never attained that. I never reached my ambition. And they wake up to realize this is just who I am now. And whatever their ambition was, comes crashing down upon them, and God makes them realize, well, this is your life. Be satisfied in it. Men, can we say amen who've been through that? Right? Been there, done that. Thought we were going to make so much money by the age of 40. Thought we were going to have this, going to have that. But then when we reached those ambitious goals, we didn't satisfy the goal, and we were crushed. You see, ambition of the right sort has an honor and obedience to God's glory as its focus. So if our ambition is right, Our ambition should honor and obey God and give Him glory. But if our ambition does not have that as its focus, then it is ambition and desire that is misdirected, and it will never satisfy us. This is what Jesus is teaching here. You see, partaking of God's righteousness, like Psalm 63 says, truly satisfies the hunger of the soul. That's what this is all about. The hunger of the soul motivates us and drives us. If you have a goal and a desire to be somebody, is your desire honoring and obeying God and giving Him glory? If it's not, then it's misdirected. And Jesus is saying you'll never be happy. You won't be blessed. (laughs) If, if, If the focus of your desire and your ambition is in the right place, then you will receive God's righteousness. Because you're honoring His glory and you're obeying His word. Isaiah chapter 14, if you want to take down the notes, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, shows us where the greatest fall came. And this, you could see, began with Lucifer. The name Lucifer literally means star of the morning or literally the bright one. That's really what his name means. Y'all realize that? Lucifer has this this attribute of his nature that is like a bright morning star. That first little bit of light that breaks the darkness of night. That's how Lucifer is described. In Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, Isaiah the prophet speaks about the fall of this Lucifer. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That was the ambition and attitude of Lucifer that we know as Satan. That was his desire, and that's what caused him to fall so drastically down to the earth. God cast him out of heaven because his ambition and his desire, his hunger was to be more than God. Because he said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the earth. And then he says, I will make myself like the Most High. That was the wrong ambition the wrong desire of Lucifer, Satan, and it is such a subtle transition to the human mind and to the human thought that we really want to be like the Most High. We want to be like God. We want to make ourselves as worthy and holy and and, and authoritative and strong as God. That was the root of the fall in the garden through sin, a desire to be like God or to be greater than God. That's the root of our separation from God Almighty. When we desire to be like God or to be greater than God, we want to Elevate ourselves. This is the root of what we call humanism. It is very subtle in our in our societies, very subtle in our worldviews. But the secular worldview, first of all, let's define secular. That which is secular, by definition, is that which is separated from God. The absence of God is the definition of secular. So our secular worldview, our secular society that we live in, has cast away God in re- and replaced that with human desire, and human advancement. We wish to advance our human condition ourselves. We want to grow as human beings. We want to prosper as the human race. We want to advance the human condition, but we don't include God in it. That is a very subtle, very real message from Satan himself because that was his attitude. That was his desire they got him thrown out of heaven. And we as human beings have taken up the same worldview, the same argument that we as human beings are going to advance ourselves. We're going to progress ourselves without God's help. At the very root of the turmoil in our country right now is a twisted evil desire to advance the human condition, to advance the human race to some level beyond what it currently is, which... At its very core, that's not a bad desire, but the problem is when the desire throws God out. God has the righteousness that we crave if we wish to advance as human beings individually, corporately, communally. Without God satisfying that, we will never fully advance, never fully be satisfied, and will constantly be going higher and higher, socially, medically, ethically, whatever it is, without God in the center of it, without His righteousness, without His truth, without His Son, Jesus Christ, whatever it is we desire is going to fall flat. So whenever we look at the riots and the protests and the social discourse that's going on in our country right now, do you hear God at the center of much of it? Not at all, hardly. There are There is a remnant a Christian voice out there that is calling for the right answer to this racial strife is reconciliation through Jesus Christ alone. That voice I will listen to, that voice that I will actually promote, but it's a quiet voice that's not being promoted. The secular voice is the one that's dominating. And what does it result in? Further separation, further strife, further anger, further destruction, all in the name of advancement. It'll result in nothing. Unless there is the love of God in the midst of whatever strife we have, the hunger and the desire of the societies, of the races right now, really is what God will provide through His Son, Jesus Christ. But the secular answer is driving us further and further away from the kingdom of heaven that is really the answer. Amen? Let's close this out. You see, Satan's ambition in Isaiah 14 was not to reflect God's glory. Not at all but instead was to usurp it, to overcome it. He was to overcome, he wanted to overcome God's sovereignty. Our church is called Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, and that's not an accident because we in this congregation understand biblically that God is sovereign and the grace that he gives us through his son Jesus Christ is by his design and by his desire, not ours. Because we don't really, in our sinful state, we really don't desire Christ because we're substituting with other things. But God's sovereignty is the power above all power, and we as human beings are not God's power. You see, when we hunger for wrong things and then reject God's good things, we actually forfeit both. We'll let that sink in for a minute. When we hunger for wrong things and we actually reject God's good things that he brings us and he gives us to satisfy our hunger. When we reject all that, we forfeit it all and we'll never be satisfied. We'll always be hungry and we'll always be thirsty and we'll never be content. And We're going to be in a turmoil, in a strife internally, physically. You see, God will humble us to the point of hunger and thirst. I think that's one of the reasons he has allowed in our fallen state for this physical hunger and thirst to continue because it is a physical reminder of the spiritual hunger and thirst that we all have. All human beings desire God's righteousness, but we have to be taught it. Otherwise, we're going to continue to sacrifice. We're going to replace what God can satisfy with things that we want to satisfy, and it won't satisfy us. We'll continue to want more and more and more and never be content, never find happiness, never be in that state of blessed grace. Grace that Jesus is talking about here. Remember that hunger is a great motivator. Don't forget that. Because God allows our souls to be hungry so that we want Him. He allows our, He even allows our physical body to be hungry to remind us of the spiritual hunger, that what we are truly desiring is Jesus Christ and nothing more. No matter what the secular world tells us will satisfy us, it's a lie. It's a lie. And unfortunately, all of us, and we can all agree to this sin, we don't learn it until it's almost too late. <laughs> even those of us in the faith, even as we have tasted the goodness of God, even as we walk this Christian life, we will stumble and fall. And every time we stumble and fall, let's take a look at what we were desiring and what we satisfied it with. That's the root of it. And so Jesus reminds us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you're here this morning and you're hungry and you're thirsty, not a cheeseburger, not a steak, not a not a bag of M&M's or whatever. But is there something in your soul that is so stirred up and uneasy that you say, Pastor, I am never content. I'm never satisfied. I'm not happy. You realize this morning as I was coming into church, and I've heard this statis, uh, statistic before, but it's becoming more and more evident that the United States of America, when you ask people in the U.S. right now, Are you happy? We are the most miserable generation in 50 years plus in this country. When you honestly ask people, be honest with yourself, are you happy? Remember, blessed in the Beatitudes means happiness. Are you happy? The vast majority of answers to that survey right now is, no, I'm not. Less than 14% of those who are asked honestly say, I'm happy right now. What is it that we're craving? What is it that we desire? Whatever you're chasing, it's not going to satisfy it. The only thing that's going to satisfy that turmoil within us is Christ Himself. Jesus says, I love you, I died for you, I rose from the grave, I paid the price for your sin. It is the sin nature that we're in, the state of sin that we're in that causes us turmoil and uncertainty. And Jesus is the one who says, I have paid the price for it all. And what do we do? We reject it. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they will be satisfied. I pray for those who I know who are not Christians, who do not know the Lord, who are actually in a state of turmoil. I actually look at that as a wonderful state for them to be in. Hallelujah. God has placed you in a, in a low position of uncertainty and discomfort for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is so that you will wake up and recognize God and His mercy, and His grace. I know that's hard for us to pray for, isn't it? (laughs) We don't want our loved ones to suffer. We don't want them to be hungry. We don't want them to be thirsty. But you know what? That's a great motivator to turn them to the Lord. So let's turn that prayer to a prayer of, Dear God, Please wake them up through your Holy Spirit to show them what will satisfy what they're craving. When they're upset, when they're out chasing the dreams that always go flat and they can never satisfy themselves, what are they looking for? They're looking for you, Lord. Let's let that be our prayer. Amen? If you're here this morning and you can say, Pastor, I am so, so unsatisfied. I'm never happy. I'm never content. If you need to do some prayer, you need to do some business with the Lord this morning, this is a great time to do it. You've got brothers and sisters in this room that if you need them to pray with you, they'll pray with you. And we'll ask the Lord to wake up within you a sense of joy and happiness as you recognize and believe and trust that it is Jesus Christ who has satisfied your sin debt. And therefore, you will be in the kingdom of heaven and you are craving his righteousness. If you need to come up to this altar and pray, let's pray. But if you need to pray where you're at, pray where you're at. But let me close this in prayer, and then we're going to sing a song, okay? Father God, we thank you for your word. And I also thank you, Father, for the hard truth that you give us in your word. That if we satisfy our cravings on our own, we'll just want to crave more. But your son, Jesus, tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that what we're really hungry for and thirsty for, what we desire the most, what we crave, is actually your righteousness. And that's the only thing that will satisfy us. And so, God, I thank you for that love that you expressed through your son, Jesus Christ, to send him to pay the price, to satisfy the sin debt for us because what we truly long for is that to be paid. We long your presence we long for your love and your grace. I pray, God, anyone in this room who is desiring your grace, who has not embraced it, who has not tasted your goodness, to taste how sweet and good and wonderful you are. Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw them closer to you. If it means giving them more hunger pains and causing more thirst in their soul for you, then dear Lord, let that be so that they, they are driven to your eternal fresh water, your eternal fresh fountain, so that they taste you and taste the goodness of your Son. I pray, God, that our church, Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, this place, this group of people, would continue to crave and hunger your goodness and hunger for your righteousness. And then we express that and we live it and we draw other people in. That's my prayer, God, that you would continue to do that here. But if you need to cause us to be hungry and thirsty for more and more of your righteousness, then, dear God, please, please, Rise that up within us. Take away whatever it is we're substituting for you and forgive us for doing that. This is your time now, Father, as we close. Please work in our hearts. Please draw us to your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.